Welcome to the Dogsthorpe Infant School, part of Hampton Academies Trust. This podcast is brought to you by Eddie Edster, the Dogsthorpe Infant School well-being dog. Eddie and Captain Dave are in the learning journey rocket ready for takeoff. This is your captain speaking. We've been cleared for departure. Okay, Eddie, start the countdown. Stand by for action. Five, four, three, two, one. You are listening to Launchpad. Yes, welcome back to Launchpad, the Dogsthorpe Infant School twice weekly podcast for parents, teachers, families, and schools. So today we welcome onto Eddie's Launchpad, Mr. Chris Connaughton. Welcome to the show, Chris. Good morning, Dave. Thank you very much for having me on today. Could you please tell us what you're offering our schools out there? Yeah, of course, Dave. Um, well, I'm, I work as an actor, a storyteller and a writer and children's playwright. I specialise in writing for the primary age range, really. Um, and I, for the last 25 years now, I've been travelling up and down the country and across Europe as well. Uh, with school visits of, of stories, plays, author visits. Um, I've always had a fascination with, with books, a love of storytelling. Uh, I started my career as an actor many, many years ago now, um, and then began about sort of 25, nearly 30 years ago, specialising in uh, theatre for young audiences. I worked with a theatre company called CTC Theatre for a long time, uh, and they specialised in creating new writing, new work for children. I was very lucky there because we devised a lot of work in rehearsal uh, and soon they were asking me to to write stories for them, plays for them. I was the one sitting in the corner scribbling down everybody's ideas as everybody was improvising. So that led me on to writing my own stories and they developed, got longer and longer and became books. Um, and as the, the acting work started to shrink as it does for many actors, <laughs> I realized that maybe there was a different way I could continue living this creative life, this storytelling performing life. Um, and so as I say, for the last 25 years now, I've been touring nationally, uh, doing storytelling, author visits. What I love about it is the fact that it's encouraging reading amongst young people. Um, I know how much I got from this when I was a child. I know how it changed my life. Books, stories and movies and TV as well. They were my escape route. I was a, I was a terribly shy child. Some would say a, a problematically shy child. Found it very, very difficult to engage with others. But there was one thing I loved and that was standing up and performing. Don't ask me why this shy child loved standing in front of an audience, but I think it was something to do with the fact that I was entering another world. I wasn't being me anymore. I didn't have to be me and think of my own words. I could borrow somebody else's stories. I could borrow somebody else's lines. 
a lot of your listeners will have probably have heard the old quote from lots of actors that acting is the shy person's revenge. You put on a costume, you put on a different voice, and you speak other people's words. So it was a release for me. It was a, and my love of stories has existed ever since I was about three years old. And what I love to do when I visit schools is to try to try to engage the children in that similar joy, that similar enjoy, um, engagement. Uh, it's vital, of course, not just for the entertainment and the, the thrill and the, the self-knowledge and the self-awareness that children get out of it, but also, of course, as a tool for literacy and for, for, for developing reading. Uh, a love of reading benefits in, in so many ways, of course. It's core to the whole curriculum, to enti our entire lives, as far as I'm concerned. You can't access any other parts of the curriculum unless you have an engagement, an ability to read. Uh, and I have a firm belief, a strong belief, that storytelling, engagement with drama and theatre and books is a huge part of that. So that's basically what I do. I visit your school as, as an author or just as a storyteller. And we'll spend usually, well, a half day or a full day with me, usually starting with a performance. If I'm working with one particular year group or even just one class, a performance, which can last up to about an hour. And then a variety of writing workshops and, and, and word games, Q&A sessions with me, and then usually another story at the end of the day. Sometimes I go in and the school want every single child in the school to be involved. So I have very age specific or key stage specific stories and workshops and, and little one person plays that I perform uh, geared at those age ranges. So we might have up to five different performances or story sessions during a whole day. I found that's a model that works really well and lots of primaries really enjoy that and get a lot out of it. Mm. I can remember when I was very young, like you, you know, I was influenced by television, but then it, it, I got into books and I can remember, I think I was about eight or nine and I got into Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Sherlock Holmes books. And uh, my dad used to look at me and say to me, well, that's a big, that's a big book that you're reading there. And I said, oh, it's really good. And you know, it's collective stories. You want to get into it. And, and, you know, my dad was never a reader. It wasn't his, his scene no. really, but for me, it opened up a whole new world. So uh, for our children, it's vital work, isn't it? And Eddie agrees with that. It's Absolutely. A very and vital I agree work. with Eddie as well. Yes, I'm glad he's <laughs> joining in with the conversation. And so, you're right, Dave. It's, and it's interesting you mentioned Conan Doyle uh, there and Sherlock Holmes stories when you were eight or nine and a lot of people would say isn't that a little bit young to be starting on Conan Doyle but I have uh, three separate Sherlock Holmes stories which I perform for upper key stage two so roughly the same age range just a little older um, and and people say oh will they be ready for that language and I said well of course they will they're mystery stories they're suspense stories yeah. When I talk to year fives and year sixes, and I mentioned detective or crime fiction, their eyes light up and they gasp. And, oh, yes. Oh, yes. We want this. And I'm a firm believer as well. in You don't you don't talk down to children in the in the language that you're using with them. Children will reach up for those ideas, hmm. especially if they're couched in an interesting story or an engaging performance. And if they don't understand the actual word, they understand the context surrounding it, because one of the things that we have as storytellers and actors in our um, which we can use is the fact that we can we can give that emotional context for the children to to understand the general sense of something. And if you're not hearing these words, if you're not experiencing them, 
then how are you ever going to start to understand what they yeah. mean and use them yourselves? There was a wonderful tweet. I, I wish I could credit it. I can't remember who it was. Just a few days ago, somebody said, you always talk up to children. You always use, um, I don't want to say the word difficult language, because mm. I don't believe in mm. difficult language, but new, exciting language. Because if a child, if a young child can say the words Tyrannosaurus Rex, as most young children can, because most have a fascination with dinosaurs, then they can say just about anything. But we have to give them access to this material, to this language, to these ideas, and to these wonderful stories. So yes, I'm delighted that you got into Conan Doyle so early, and I'm hoping that some of my stories do the same for year fives and sixes as well. I, I, can't, I can't remember now why I got into it. I may have seen a, a film or a television series, I don't know. But I remember that the first time I got, actually got into the words and could see the shape of the words, you could, you, uh, the imagination takes you on this journey and you imagine things in a totally different way than television, don't you? You do indeed. And one of the great joys that I find in what I do is um, when I see that moment in the children's faces, uh, if I'm performing or even just talking to them as an author uh, in a classroom, when you see that sudden little spark where they've got the idea, they've suddenly realised, oh, yes, I like this, or, or they, they know what's coming next in the story. I tell one with, um, well, with early years um, uh, and through Key Stage 1 as well, famous old story called The Three Wishes. Uh, spoiler alert for your listeners here, I'm going to give the ending away. But there is a, there is a moment where the, the woodcutter is given three wishes. He spends the first one foolishly on wishing for a sausage because he's hungry. His wife becomes angry with him uh, and she says, I wish that sausage would stick to the end of your silly nose. And of course, there's only one wish left and they have to use it to get rid of the sausage. Now, I remember hearing that story for the first time, probably when I was about six or seven years old, which, believe it or not, Dave, is now more than 10 years ago. <laughs> and... <laughs> And I can still remember that moment of excitement, that thrill when I suddenly realised, just before it got to that part of the story, I realised what was going to happen. I suddenly understood. Later on, of course, we get this reading novels, or especially in crime fiction, where just before the detective says, and the murderer is, we suddenly realise, ah, oh, that's how it's going to end. That's what's going to happen next. And there is a wonderful thrill uh, of that ownership of that idea, where a young person suddenly realizes, oh, I get this, I understand this, I'm ahead of the game, I know what's gonna happen now. And that I feel can often be a huge encouragement for children to want to read more. It's a, such a positive thing for them to experience and an enjoyable thing as well. And that's one of the reasons I do it. And as I say, that look on the children's faces where you realize they've suddenly got that idea is and one of the great joys for me. Yeah. And, and one of the things that uh, frustrate me sometimes is that people say about literacy and they think it's about reading books or it's about writing and using your imagination to write. But it does shape our language as well, doesn't it? And, and that whole it, it, it encompasses everything we do and say. And I, I remember that um, it was only just the other day, actually, just after the, the, the King's speech, King Charles's speech mm. the other day, he finished with a Shakespeare's quote. And just after it, literally just after it, somebody said to me, knowing that I went to church, said to me, is that from a hymn? And I said, no, that's Shakespeare. Yes. And, yeah. and of course, 
if you if you're not if you're not a reader if you don't know we we use Shakespeare all the time you know <laughs> from the world is my oyster and all of that you know Absolutely. we use it all of the time and that all comes from literacy. Absolutely, and and as you say, it it is core, it is central to to everything. I, I do a piece based on Lewis Carroll and the Alice Wonderland stories, and I discovered while I was doing my research for that for that play a few years ago now that that if you imagine a top ten of books, not a top ten of bestsellers, but just a top ten of the most recognised, uh, the most quoted, the most well known books all around the world. At number one, you have the Bible or other religious books. At number two, you have the complete works of William Shakespeare. Because around the world, more people recognize those stories, those characters, can quote from those, those works. And more things have gone into the, our language, as you say, that we don't realize coming from those mm. works. So at number one, you have the Bible and other religious books. At number two, you have Shakespeare. But at number three, you don't have Harry Potter. You don't have Narnia, you don't have, have Lord of the Rings, you don't have um, any of those. You've got Alice in Wonderland. Because around the world, more people recognize those characters. It's quoted and used and referenced more often than anything else ever, apart from mm -hmm. the Bible and Shakespeare. Now, mm -hmm. that is incredible. And I tell this to the children, and I say that, that this, is, this is most remarkable to me, because that incredible book whether, whether you love Lewis Carroll or, or hate the Alice in Wonderland books and I know they're quite divisive I think people either get them and love them or they think oh no that's just too bizarre no I don't get that at all but these books that have become so well known as such a central core as a culture as different societies that started from a little girl of about five years old saying tell me a story and then after he told stories to, to Alice Little and her sisters, one day she said, don't just tell me this time, write it down because I want to read this for myself whenever I want to. And from that grew this incredible imaginative world, which 100 and goodness me, uh, nearly 130 years now since, since Carol died, we are still talking about and referencing and telling these stories in all these different ways. And that's just an example of one book is it's it's an incredible mm. resource and and we do our children i think a great disservice if we don't give them free and open access to this wonderful resource this entertainment this education uh, this self-learning that we get from books again it's an old quote and i wish i could <laughs> wish i could remember where i first heard it it might even have been one of mine dave i can't remember now <laughs> i'm getting very old <laughs> but i but uh, i can't remember where it came from but i often say I read biography and history to find about, out about other people, but I read novels and go to see plays to learn about myself because it opens up the world for you and the interior world of who you are as well. Because I, I always think stories, well, art in general, Dave, but stories and books in particular do two things, two main things. One is, they show us that the world is a huge, exciting place, that there are vast differences in the way people think, in people's lives, ex life experiences, that there is a whole other world out there waiting be to be discovered. But they also remind us that we're all alike, that we all go through the same basic experiences, whether that be um, uh, love, hope, ambition, grief, anger, regret, 
we all have the same common human experience. And so the best stories, I think, do both those things at the same time. Mm. They remind us that we're all different and we mm. have to have time and, and appreciate and be kind to others' experiences, but also that we're all the same. We are not alone. If we're struggling, again, especially if we're going through difficult times or if we're a child trying to make sense of the world and our own place within it, then books do that great thing of saying, it's okay, we've got this. Other people have gone through this as well. You will be okay. This is how this person in this story dealt with it. Maybe this can help you. It's such a huge canvas uh, of experience and help that this can give to children. When it comes to things like movies and television programmes, it is very, not all of them, but many of them are very black and white and you can see the characters, you see where they're going, that's fine. But when you read a book, you then start asking yourself questions because you don't have all of the answers. You just no. have the written word. And I, it was many years later, I read Jekyll and Hyde, H.G. Wells, you know, and I, and I thought, I'm going to battle my way through this because it's not an easy read. And it wasn't until afterwards I thought, this isn't just about a guy who drinks a potion and becomes something else. This is about the monster within us all. Yes. This is about the fact yeah. that something within us can turn us a Dr. Jekyll driver and become a Mr. Hyde issue on the road with somebody showing road rage. And yet it comes out of nowhere. You know, where does yeah. that come from? It's within us. The, the, and I think that that's what Wells was trying to get at when he wrote that book. But of course, when I read it all those years ago, I just read it as this doctor who had this weird potion. And it's a horror and story. Yeah. It's a horror story. But yeah. beneath it, you're left. And I think that that's what books do. And I maybe not so much for uh, for our infants because they no. like to read things like Gruffalo and their narratives, and that's fine. But when you get to seven and eight and nine, you start reading these adventure books, and it is about them going on a journey, and at the end of it, asking themselves, "Would I have done that? Yes. You know, would that be yeah. Would that be me?" And then, of course, that leads us on to as a young adult picking up and as an older adult picking up other books and battling our way through that and seeing how the characters develop in much the same way that you were saying you know um I guess it's like you in your acting you know you get a script and you think actually I'm going to play it this way because I see this character being somewhat different to what maybe the director wants you know and you <laughs> That's probably why I started writing my own material and working for myself. <laughs> <laughs> but it so, is, that relationship you have with a film or a TV show, of course, is very different to the relationship you have with a book when you're reading it yourself, or if you're sharing it and it's being read to you by a parent, because there is that whole interior world that's going on as well, where you're processing in a very different way. And it does give us the time, because of course, reading is a slower process to watching something, whether it be 20 minutes on television or a two hour movie, it's still a much slower process, a much more personal exploration of what's going on. So we have time to ask ourselves these questions. As you said, what would I do here? How would I react to that? The part of the, one of the writing workshops I do certainly with Key Stage 2, although occasionally I introduce this idea with, with Key Stage 1 as well, is going back to the old acting days again of, of my Stanislavski studies. Now, Stanislavski was a, a, a theatre director from, from Russia about 100 years ago, and he created, along with Chekhov, the playwright, the, the method for actors um, to make acting more believable, more realistic, more truthful. 
And two of the, two of the main things that he had in, in his method for actors, which now all writers use as well, of course, were the magic if and emotion memory. The magic if is quite simply saying to yourself, if I were in that situation, what would I do? Or if that were happening to me, how would I react? What would I be thinking? What would I say? Now, of course, if we're telling a story to little ones about Jack and the Beanstalk, of course they don't know what they what would happen if they suddenly climbed up a beanstalk and met a giant in a castle in the clouds. No. They haven't done that. But we can then say, well, what do you think it would feel like? Has anybody here felt lonely, scared, worried, nervous, excited, happy, jealous? And we can start to talk about emotions children have had. And as soon as they start to think back to those feelings, those emotions they've had, then they can put themselves into the story. Again, mm. we're, we're, we're giving them that chance to enjoy an experience in another way, to open up whole new experiences, mm. and open up their imaginations in a new way as well. Because mm. when, so when, when you think of the, the classic uh, fairy stories, um, that we often read to our children. I mean, they're quite scary, really, when you think about it. Um, from the from the three pigs right through to Red Riding Hood, they're really scary stories, and yet we still t tell the story, don't we? Absolutely, yes. But that that was one of the reasons they were told originally, of course. They were they were uh, life lessons, moral lessons, yes. you know, or or, the, or there were warnings. You know, don't go in the woods. There really is a wolf out there. Um, but yes, it's uh, we we can we can take so much from them, whether they are meant as lessons or entertainments or even as a means to enrich um, a child's education. Yeah. So. Um... You you do all age primary, do you? From early years through to to year uh, sixes. I do. Yes, the the early years work I do is is mainly classic storytelling with little bits of drama improvisation thrown in. If if the teachers would like that to help with speaking and listening. Um, yes, and, and key stage one, it continues with storytelling, uh, although we obviously broaden the range a little bit. We get into, into slightly more Han, um, Hans Christian Anden Grimm Brothers types of fable and story there. Things a little bit more, not gruesome, but a little bit weightier. Uh, and then with key stage two, we develop on with lowercase stage two, starting with Greek myths. Um, I said the Alice in Wonderland, Lewis Carroll stories, things like Tinderbox and the Firebird, longer stories that, that have maybe more complex relationships and situations in them. Uh, and then moving up to upper key stage two, then there's a range of stuff, including my own my own books, my own fantasy thrillers written for year five and year six. Uh, I do author visits based on those for year five and six, uh, but also versions of classic stories. We mentioned Sherlock Holmes, Conan Doyle earlier. Um, I do pieces based on Dickens, Victorian ghost stories, a one man show based on Robinson Crusoe for year fives and sixes, uh, although that's that's also worked down quite well to year fours too. My Robinson Crusoe is a modern version and it's about me and my dad. Because even though I've taken the story of Crusoe and we have lots of the original episodes in the performance, it's, it's told from the point of view of an actor who is touring a play about Robinson Crusoe. He's on the far side of the world on his tour. There's been an earthquake, and the planes aren't flying anymore, a dreadful storm. He's stuck in an airport at the far side of the world, he can't get home. The phone signals are down, he can't talk to anybody at home, 
So he starts to talk to the other passengers around him. And he starts to take things out of his suitcases. And bit by bit during the performance, we, we get the story of the actor and his family at home. And we also get the story of Robinson Crusoe. So that's, that's an example of one of the ways I develop and, and, and adapt classic text to make them relevant to a modern young audience. Uh, so yeah, those are a few of the things that I do. Yeah. And of course, the Robinson Crusoe piece in particular has become more relevant in the last couple of years um, because of COVID and the lockdowns. Mm. Of course, uh, both adults and children, we've gone through an awful lot of anxiety of missing people. Tragically, of course, many of us have lost somebody uh, yeah. in that period. And part of my Robinson Crusoe piece is about losing my dad. So again, going to other things that these this work can offer to children and hopefully to teachers as well to maybe develop these things for discussion or for, for ongoing work after after my school visits is that we can, we can give emotional support, that emotional understanding again. Going back to what I was saying a few minutes ago about stories, stories show us that there's a wider world out there full of different people, but it also reminds us that we're not alone in what we're going through. I have a I have a, a lot of uh, a lot of colleagues in schools around the country, with whom I've worked regularly now for a couple of decades, and um, so they tend to get in touch with me at the beginning of the school year, and we'll book in very often the same dates or corresponding dates um, to the previous year. But yes, anybody who's interested in getting in touch with me, talking to me more about my work or booking me for their school, uh, just get in touch through email or my website. I'll tell you those in a minute. Either pick something from the repertoire. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite extensive. Or if you're doing something specific in your school, if you have a topic or a particular book that you're studying, then have a word with me about that as well. Because the chances are, even if I can't do something based on that particular book, I'll have something that ties in with the theme. On my website, the full a full day inclusive of travel is quoted at £360. But at the moment, because I know so many are struggling with budgets and things, and for anybody listening to this podcast, if they want to quote this podcast, we're knocking, we're knocking 50 or 60 pounds off that one for a full day, including expenses. It sort of ties in with, with uh, recommended um, day visits from the Society of Authors webpage. One of the things I like to do is leave lots of workshop ideas or work in progress that um, I know teachers find useful to continue the work. Uh, and I love that because, you know, there's an ongoing benefit there. And hopefully that enjoyment and that engagement that you've sort of engendered with the, with the children during your visit is going to last beyond your visit. There's going to have a, it's going to have a, a continued positive effect. Intextchris43 at gmail.com. Intextchris, because I set up a company called Intext Performance as a vehicle for me to tour my own work years and years ago. So that's Intextchris, which is I N T E X T Chris43 at gmail.com. You can find my website, which is just intextperformance.com, and lots more details uh, are on there. And there's also a contact form on there as well. And again, Intext is I N T extperformance.com i'm on twitter as well for all you modern folk that do social media i'm on on twitter at intext chris uh, and then i have a facebook page as well you can find me again on intext performance on facebook well that's it for another week folks captain dave and eddie will be back again soon with another launch pad they'll have more great guests more places to see 
and more interesting things to share on the learning journey. So, be kind, be respectful, and always remember to dream, believe, and shine. The podcast to encourage young stars to dream, believe and shine.